0: Rip Van Winkle, by Washington Irving. The morning was passing away, and Rip felt famished for want of his breakfast. He grieved to give up his dog and gun. He dreaded to meet his wife, but it would not do to starve among the mountains. He shook his head, shouldered the rusty firelock, and, with a heart full of trouble and anxiety, turned his steps homeward. As he approached the village he met a number of people, but none whom he knew, which somewhat surprised him, for he had thought himself acquainted with everyone in the county round. Their dress, too, was of a different fashion from that to which he was accustomed. They all stared at him with equal marks of surprise, and whenever they cast their eyes upon him, invariably stroked their chins. A constant recurrence of this gesture induced Rip involuntarily to do the same, when, to his astonishment, he found his beard had grown a foot long. He had now entered the skirts of the village. A troop of strange children ran at his heels, hooting after him and pointing at his grey beard. The dogs, too, not one of which he recognized for an old acquaintance, barked at him as he passed. The very village was altered. It was larger and more populous. There were rows of houses which he had never seen before, and those which had been his familiar haunts had disappeared. Strange names were over the doors, strange faces at the windows. Everything was strange. His mind now misgave him. He began to doubt whether both he and the world around him were not bewitched. Surely this was his native village, which he had left but the day before. There stood the Catskill Mountains, there and the Silver Hudson at a distance. There was every hill and dale, precisely as it had always been. Rip was surely perplexed. That flagon last night, thought he, has addled my poor head sadly. It was with some difficulty that he found the way to his own house, which he approached with silent awe, expecting every moment to hear the shrill voice of Dame Van Winkle. He found the house gone to decay, the roof fallen in, the windows shattered, and the doors off the hinges. A half starved dog that looked like wolf was caulking about it. Rip called him by name, but the cur snarled, showed his teeth, and passed on. This was an unkind cut indeed. My very dog, sighed poor Rip, has forgotten me. He entered the house, which, to tell the truth, Dame Van Winkle had always kept in neat order. It was empty, forlorn, and apparently abandoned. This desolateness overcame all his connubial fears. He called loudly for his wife and children. The lonely chambers rang for a moment. The lonely chambers rang for a moment with his voice, and then all again was silence. He now hurried forth and hastened to his old resort, the village inn, but it too was gone. A large rickety wooden building stood in its place, with great gaping windows, some of them broken and mended with old hats and petticoats, and over the door was painted The Union Hotel by Jonathan Doolittle. Instead of the great tree that used to shelter the quiet little Dutch inn of yore, there now was reared a tall naked pole with something on the top that looked like a red nightcap and from it was fluttering a flag on which was a singular assemblage of stars and stripes. All this was strange and incomprehensible. He recognized on the sign, however, the ruby face of King George, under which he had smoked so many a peaceful pipe. But even this was singularly metamorphosed. The red coat was changed for one of blue and buff. A sword was held in the hand instead of the scepter. The head was decorated with a cocked hat, and underneath was painted in large characters, General Washington. There was, as usual, a crowd of folk about the door, but none that Rip recollected. The very character of the people seemed changed. There was a busy, bustling, disputatious tone about it, instead of the accustomed phlegm and drowsy tranquility. He looked in vain for the sage Nicholas Vedder, with his broad face, double chin, and his long pipe, uttering clouds of tobacco smoke instead of vital speeches, or Van Bommel, the schoolmaster, doling forth the contents of an ancient newspaper. In place of these, a lean, bilious-looking fellow, with his pockets full of handbills, was haranguing vehemently about rights of citizens, elections, members of Congress, liberty, bunkers hill heroes of seventy-six, and other words which were a perfect Babylonish jargon to the bewildered Van Winkle. The appearance of Rip with his long grizzled beard, his rusty fowling piece, his uncouth dress, and an army of women and children at his heels soon attracted the attention of the tavern politicians. They crowded round him, eyeing him from head to foot with great curiosity. The orator bustled up to him and, drawing him partly aside, inquired, "'On which side?' he voted. Rip stared in vacant stupidity. Another short but busy little fellow pulled him by the arm and, rising on tiptoe, inquired in his ear whether he was Federal or Democrat. Rip was equally at a loss to comprehend the question, one annoying, self-important old gentleman in a sharp cocked hat made his way through the crowd, putting them to the right and left with his elbows as he passed, and planting himself before Van Winkle with one arm akimbo, the other resting on his cane, his keen eyes and sharp hat penetrating, as it were, into his very soul, and demanded in an austere tone, "'What brought him to the election with a gun on his shoulder "'and a mob at his heels?' and whether he meant to breed a riot in the village. "'Alas, gentlemen!' cried Rip, somewhat dismayed. "'I am a poor, quiet man, a native of the place, and a loyal subject of the king. God bless him!' Here a general shout burst from the bystanders. "A "'A Tory! A Tory! A spy! A refugee! Hustle him! Away with him!' "'It was with great difficulty that the self-important man "'in the cocked-hat restored order, "'and having assumed a tenfold austerity of brow, "'demanded again of the unknown culprit "'what he came there for, and whom was he seeking. "'The poor man humbly assured him that he meant no harm, "'but merely came there in search of some of his neighbors, "'who used to keep about the tavern. "'Well, who are they? Name them!' "'Rip bethought himself a moment and inquired, "'Where's Nicholas Vetter?" "'There was silence for a little while "'when an old man replied in a thin piping voice, "'Nicholas Vetter? "'Why, he is dead and gone these eighteen years. "'There was a wooden tombstone in the churchyard "'that used to tell all about him, "'but that's rotten and gone too. "'Where's Brom Dutcher?' "'Oh, he went off to the army in the beginning of the war. "'Some say he was killed at the storming of Storny Point. "'Others say he was drowned in a squall at the foot of Antony's Rose. "'I don't know. He never came back again. "'Where's Van Bummel, the schoolmaster?' "'He went off to the wars, too. "'Was a great militia general and is now in Congress.' Rip's heart died away at hearing of these sad changes in his home and friends and finding himself thus alone in the world. Every answer puzzled him, too, by treating of such enormous lapses of time and of matters which he could not understand. War, Congress, Stony Point. He had no courage to ask after any more friends, but cried out in despair. "'Does nobody here No, Rip Van Winkle?' "'Oh, Rip Van Winkle!' exclaimed two or three. "'Oh, to be sure! "'That's Rip Van Winkle yonder, leaning against a tree!' Rip looked and beheld a precise counterpart of himself as he went up the mountain, apparently as lazy and certainly as ragged. The poor fellow was now completely confounded. He doubted his own identity and whether he was himself or another man. In the midst of his bewilderment, the man in the hat demanded who he was and what was his name. "'God knows,' exclaimed he at his wit's end. "'I'm not myself. I'm somebody else. "'That's me yonder. No, that somebody else got into my shoes. "'I was myself last night, but I fell asleep on the mountain, "'and they've changed my gun, and everything's changed, and I'm changed, "'and I can't tell what's my name or who I am.' The bystanders began now to look at each other, nod, wink significantly, and tap their fingers against their foreheads. There was a whisper, too, about securing the gun and keeping the old fellow from doing mischief, at the very suggestion of which the self-important man in the cocked hat retired with some precipitation. At this critical moment, a fresh, comely woman pressed through the throng to get a peep at the gray-bearded man. She had her chubby child in her arms, which, frightened at his looks, began to cry. "'Hush, Rip!' cried she. "'Hush, you little fool, the old man won't hurt you.' The name of the child, the air of the mother, the tone of her voice all awakened a train of recollections in his mind. "'What is your name, my good woman?' asked he. "'Judith Gardiner. And your father's name? Ah, poor man!' "'Rip Van Winkle was his name, "'but it's twenty years since he went away from home with his gun "'and never has been heard of since. "'His dog came home without him, "'but whether he shot himself or was carried away, "'nobody can tell. "'I was then but a little girl.' "'Rip had one question more to ask, "'but he put it with a faltering voice. "'Where's your mother?' Oh, she too had died but a short time since. She broke a blood vessel in a fit of passion at a New England peddler. There was a drop of comfort, at least in this intelligence. The honest man could contain himself no longer. He caught his daughter and her child in his arms. I am your father, cried he. Young Rip Van Winkle once, old Rip Van Winkle now. Does nobody know... Poor Rip Van Winkle! All stood amazed until an old woman, tottering out from among the crowd, put her hand to her brow and, peering under it in his face for a moment, exclaimed, "'Sure enough! It is Rip Van Winkle!' "'It is himself!' "'Welcome home again, old neighbor! "'Why, where have you been these twenty long years?' Rib's story was soon told, for the whole twenty years had been to him but as one night. The neighbors stared when they heard it. Some were seen to wink at each other and put their tongues in their cheeks. And the self-important man in the cocked hat, who when the alarm was over had returned to the field, screwed down the corners of his mouth and shook his head, upon which there was a general shaking of the head throughout the assemblage. It was determined, however, to take the opinion of old Peter Vanderdonk, who was seen slowly advancing up the road. He was a descendant of the historian of that name, who wrote one of the earliest accounts of the province. Peter was the most ancient inhabitant of the village, and well-versed in all the wonderful events and traditions of the neighborhood. He recollected Rip at once and corroborated his story in the most satisfactory manner. He assured the company that it was a fact— handed down from his ancestor the historian that the Catskill Mountains had always been haunted by strange beings, that it was affirmed that the great Henrik Hudson, the first discoverer of the river and country, kept a kind of vigil there every twenty years with his crew of the half-moon, being permitted in this way to revisit the scenes of his enterprise and keep a guardian eye upon the river, and the great city called by his name, that his father had once seen them in their old Dutch dresses playing at nine pins in the hollow of the mountain, and that he himself had heard one summer afternoon the sound of their balls like distant peals of thunder. To make a long story short, the company broke up and returned to the more important concerns of the election. Reb's daughter took him home to live with her. She had a snug, well-furnished house and a stout, cheery farmer for her husband, whom Rip recollected for one of the urchins that used to climb upon his back. As to Rip's son and heir, who was the ditto of himself, seen leaning against a tree, he was employed to work on the farm, but evinced an hereditary disposition to attend to anything else but his business. Rip now resumed his old walks and habits. He soon found many of his former cronies, though all rather the worse for the wear and tear of time, and preferred making friends among the rising generation, with whom he soon grew into great favor. Having nothing to do at home, and being arrived at that happy age when a man can be idle with impunity, he took his place once more on the bench at the inn door, and was reverenced as one of the patriarchs of the village, and a chronicle of the old times before the war. It was some time before he could get into the regular track of gossip, or could be made to comprehend the strange events that had taken place during his torpor. Now there had been a revolutionary war, that the country had thrown off the yoke of old England, and that, instead of being a subject of His Majesty George III, he was now a free citizen of the United States. Rip, in fact, was no politician. The changes of states and empires made but little impression on him, There was one species of despotism under which he had long groaned, and that was petticoat government. Happily that was at an end. He had got his neck out of the yoke of matrimony, and could go in and out whenever he pleased, without dreading the tyranny of Dame Van Winkle. Whenever her name was mentioned, however, he shook his head, shrugged his shoulders, and cast up his eyes. "'which might pass either for an expression of resignation to his fate "'or joy at his deliverance. "'He used to tell this story to every stranger that arrived at Mr. Doolittle's hotel. "'He was observed at first to vary on some points every time he told it, "'which was, doubtless, owing to his having so recently awaked. "'It all last settled down precisely to the tale I related.' and not a man, woman, or child in the neighborhood, but know it by heart. Some always pretended to doubt the reality of it, and insisted that Rip it bit out of his head, and that this was the one point on which he always remained flighty. The old Dutch inhabitants, however, almost universally gave it full credit. Even to this day they never hear a thunderstorm of a summer afternoon about the Catskill, but they say Henrik Hudson and his crew are at their game of ninepins, and it is a common wish of all hen husbands in the neighborhood, when life hangs heavy on their hands, that they might have a quieting draught out of Rip Van Winkle's flagon. Note The foregoing tale, one would suspect, had been suggested to Mr. Knickerbocker by a little German superstition about the Emperor Frederick de Rothbart, and the Kiphauser Mountain. A subjoined note, however, which he had appended to the tale, shows that it is an absolute fact, narrated with his usual fidelity. The story of Rip Van Winkle may seem incredible to many, but nevertheless I give it my full belief, for I know the vicinity of our old Dutch settlements to have been very subject to marvellous events and appearances. Indeed, I have heard many stranger stories than this in the villages along the Hudson, all of which were all too well-authenticated to admit of a doubt. I have even talked with Rip Van Winkle myself, who, when last I saw him, was a very venerable old man, and so perfectly rational and consistent on every other point, that I think no conscientious person could refuse to take this into the bargain, nay— I have seen a certificate on the subject taken before a country justice and signed with the cross in the justice's own handwriting. The story, therefore, is beyond the possibility of doubt. Postscript The following are traveling notes from a memorandum book of Mr. Knickerbocker. The Katzburg or Catskill Mountains have always been a region full of fable. The Indians considered them the abode of spirits who influenced the weather, spreading sunshine or clouds over the landscape and sending good or bad hunting seasons. They were ruled by an old squaw spirit said to be their mother. She dwelt on the highest peak of the Catskills and had charge of the doors of day and night to open and shut them at the proper hour. She hung up the new moons in the skies and cut up the old ones into stars. In times of drought, if properly propitiated, she would spin light summer clouds out of cobwebs and morning dew and send them off from the crest of the mountain, flake after flake, like flakes of carded cotton, to float in the air, until dissolved by the heat of the sun, they would fall in gentle showers, causing the grass to spring, the fruits to open, and the corn to grow an inch an hour. If displeased, however, she would brew up clouds black as ink, sitting in the midst of them like a bottle-bellied spider in the midst of its web, and when these clouds broke, woe betide the valley's, In old times, say the old traditions, there was a kind of manitou or spirit who kept about the wildest recesses of the Catskill Mountains and took a mischievous pleasure in wreaking all kinds of evils and vexations upon the men. Sometimes he would assume the form of a bear, a panther, or a deer, lead the bewildered hunter a weary chase through tangled forests and among ragged rocks, and then spring off with a loud ho-ho, leaving him aghast on the brink of a beetling precipice or raging torrent. The favourite abode of this Manitou is still shown. It is a great rock or cliff on the loneliest part of the mountains, and from the flowering vines which clamber about it, and the wild flowers which abound in its neighborhood is known by the name of a garden rock. Near the foot of it is a small lake, the haunt the solitary bittern with water-snakes basking in the sun on the leaves of the pond-lilies which lie on the surface. This place was held in great awe by the Indians, insomuch that the boldest hunter would not pursue its game within its precincts. Once upon a time, however, a hunter who had lost his way penetrated to the guarded rock, where he beheld a number of gourds placed in the crotches of trees. One of these he seized and made off with, but in the hurry of his retreat, He let it fall among the rocks, when a great stream gushed forth, which washed him away and swept him down precipices, where he was dashed to pieces, and the stream made its way to the Hudson, and continues to flow to the present day, being the identical stream known by the name of the Catter's Kill. People do things when they're inebriated and enjoying themselves, most of the time, they go online and take advantage of the great deals at Amazon.com. Enter BVJ and the promo code, and it will do absolutely nothing, because this is not a sponsored read. I would like to remind you that we are always on the hunt for fantastic stories like this one to feature on the podcast. If you know of some, you can let me know. bigvoicej at gmail.com We've got a YouTube channel full of selected stories from the podcast. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.